Welcome to the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. Where we celebrate poetry and the Commonwealth with people from across the Commonwealth. I'm Giles Brandreth. And I'm Afra Brandreth. We're a father and daughter based in the UK. This week, I'm up in Edinburgh in Scotland and Afra is in, well, the Garden of England. She's in beautiful Kent. And we're speaking to someone who is literally more than 10,000 kilometres away. Yes, we are. And each fortnight, we are on an adventure around the Commonwealth. We're meeting fascinating people, hearing their stories and getting to know 56 amazing and diverse countries and exploring it all through poetry. Where are we discovering this week, Avra? This week, we're finding out all about Singapore, which is a city-state in Southeast Asia. It sits south of the Malay Peninsula across the Johor Straits. The country is made up of Singapore Island and about 60 much smaller islands. Most of the main island is low-lying. There are low hills in the central region and large areas of swamp in the northeast. You give us the facts and figures, Dad. Okay, population 5.686 million, area 720 square kilometers, capital city Singapore, joined the Commonwealth in 1965 on leaving the Federation of Malaysia and becoming an independent state. Languages spoken include Malay, Mandarin, Tamil, and English. And I think a patois of English called Singlish. We may discover more about that as we go. Indeed. I've actually been lucky enough to visit Singapore, and it really is a wonderful place to discover. And to help us get to know a bit more about the culture and poetry, we're meeting an award-winning Singaporean poet uh, and director of Poetry Festival Singapore, Eric Tinsai Vales. I can't wait to meet him. Let's get going. Well, Afra and I are very excited to meet you, Eric, but we've been wondering about your name, how to pronounce it, and what the origins of your three names are, because your published work comes under, well, one name, but it's three three names in the one name. What is your name? Yeah, so my name is Eric Tinsai Valias. Um, Eric is a given name. Uh, my, my, my mom uh, named um, my brother and me um, with uh, with names starting with the letter E. <laughs> so it's Eric. Um, and then um, Tinsai is uh, my... My mom's maiden name, uh, it's Chinese, so she's, um, she's partly Chinese um, from um, the Hokkien or the Fujian um, side of uh, China. Um, she's, um, my, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather is actually the Chinese um, in the family. And then Valias is a Spanish name from my father. Um, and like many uh, people from the Philippines, where I'm originally from, um, so I have a Spanish uh, surname. And um, yeah, so I'm of mixed heritage. Um, people would call that mestizo uh, in um, in the Philippines and other uh, Latin countries. Um, and um, I, I came here to Singapore um, to do my graduate studies at the National University of Singapore. Um, and this is also where I started publishing poetry, although I've been writing since I was a primary four student. So what first got you interested in, in poetry where, when you were in primary four? What, what kind of inspired you? Oh, I, went, um, I was growing up uh, in a middle class family in a suburb of Manila, um, my, uh, my home city. 
uh, I would spend many hours um, during our vacations um, just reading books, um, fairy tales from all over the world, uh, novels by Hemingway, Steinbeck, and poetry, all sorts of people. Um, uh, people like uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, believe it or not, um, and um, Shakespeare, um, all those monologues from Julius Caesar. Um, so I started with that. And in primary four, I was part of the school newspaper called The Link. And they asked me to contribute a poem um, to it. It's probably um, a 20 line poem um, about a topic that I've been writing about <laughs> since then. Uh, it was entitled The Wanderer. Um, and um, I also get to write about the migrant experience these days um, here in Singapore. Um, and previously, when I was um, living in other places like uh, Taipei, Taiwan. Clearly, in Singapore, there are a lot of people who have been wanderers. How did your family or how did you end up in Singapore, given your background? Who were your parents? What was your childhood like? And then how did you get to Singapore? Yeah, so... Um, my mom um, uh, is Ida Tinsevalias. Um, she was working as a secretary for the World Health Organization, uh, another global uh, institution based in Manila um, at that time. Um, and uh, my, my father, Mariano Valias, um, was working for a Japanese, Japanese shipping consultancy. So in this part of the world, so we are very cosmopolitan, uh, we work for multinational companies and institutions. Um, and um, I ended up in Singapore because um, I was doing my postgraduate studies in English literature. I did it on Flannery O'Connor, um, Alexander Pope, and Geoffrey Chaucer um, in the beginning. Yeah, so um, I, I came here for that. Um, before coming here, um, in my early um, adulthood, I was working as a journalist in an English newspaper in Taipei, Taiwan, uh, which, believe it or not, has three English dailies. <laughs> I was working for one of them. Um, and um, while there, I was also writing some poems, although I didn't publish until I came here to Singapore, which has a very thriving uh, publishing industry. And um, they are also open to publishing poetry, uh, which is uh, kind of unusual. Describe for us a little bit the flavor of Singapore today. What, what it is like, Singapore? What are the smells, the sounds? What are the streets of Singapore like? So Singapore is a is clean, green, and open to the world. Um, over here, things work, um, and um, so this is um, this becomes quite evident um, when people from here travel to other places. Um, and we go to um, airports in the U.S., for example, and we get stranded there um, because um, airport operations stop whenever there's a, a big storm. Um, and uh, yeah, so the things here, um, everything's very modern. Um, and then that's, um, that's a very striking thing uh, when, you, when you visit Singapore, um, you get to see the central business district uh, with its um, 
architecture that's designed by IMP um, and um, uh, Sir Norman uh, Foster, people like that. So it's quite um, um, futuristic in, in certain areas. Um, and the trains work most of the time um, and they're, they're quite punctual as well. And um, since Singapore is quite cosmopolitan, so we we get all um, sounds and smells uh, from different countries. Uh, we've got our own Chinatown, um, where, you, where you have um, food from different parts of China, um, Shanghai food, um, Sichuan, with all its um, spices, um, and you get. You also have Cantonese food. We have a, a Michelin-starred Hong Kong uh, stall at the Chinatown food court. Um, so we, you get that from China. There's also a little India. And you've got um, the smell of uh, incense and different other spices, like uh, turmeric. Um, and um, in the local department store here called Mustafa, you can buy almost anything. Um, uh, I heard even airplanes. Um, yeah, from that show. And it's, it's open 24 seven. Um, yeah, and we've got people, um, there is um, a department store or mall for uh, people from Myanmar, another one um, for Filipinos on um, Orchard Road. It's called Lucky Plaza. And when you go there, when I go there, uh, it seems like I've never really left the Philippines. Um, it's very crowded um, and you, you get uh, mangoes and even uh, duck eggs, uh, which is a novel uh, specialty uh, back uh, in the Philippines. Um, and yeah, so you, you get bits and pieces of um, all over the world. Um, and we've got all sorts of restaurants, Turkish uh, in the Arab district, um, even Ukrainian. Um, I read in the papers. Yeah, so that's Singapore for you. It's clearly very multicultural. And I think that's reflected in the languages that are spoken in Singapore as well. Can you tell us a bit about that? What what do people speak daily and um, what might be taught in the schools? What languages? Yeah, so English is the one of the official languages and that um, bridges communities um, across racial and cultural lines. And that is taught in all the schools. And then the majority is Chinese. So we've got special aided uh, schools um, that... Um, specialize in Chinese and higher Chinese uh, education. And the Chinese here uh, that, that is taught in the schools is Mandarin Chinese, although there are other languages uh, from China that are widely spoken. Um, but in order to promote cohesion um, and communication with the rest of uh, the Chinese world, Mandarin um, is taught in schools. Uh, we've got Cantonese, um, uh, Hokkien, as I mentioned earlier, um, about my family, and uh, Teochew. Um, Edwin Thambu is a Teochew Indian uh, individual. Um, and then, you know, you get all sorts of- Try to get my head inside your head. 
Because what's strange about you, Eric, is you've told us that your cultural heritage in terms of poetry are people, are the ancients, people like Geoffrey Chaucer, who was writing, goodness, 800 years ago, um, yes. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. These, the names that you mentioned, these are very traditional, classical, English-language poets. And yet the country you're describing is terribly modern and very cosmopolitan. How does your head work when it comes to your cultural background and the kind of poetry you're writing in the country where you live now? Yeah, so I consider myself a, like a karunguni. What does that mean? Is the term here for a scrap dealer. Um, so we get, um, that's how it is in um, in the fringes of the old empire. Um, so we um, are very familiar um, we're with uh, the tropes and the traditions um, of the old world. Um, at the same time, as we are trying to forge our own identity and trying to find um, our own distinct styles of writing. So it just so happened that um, I've, I've read and I've, I've enjoyed Chaucer. Um, and uh, uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow um, was um, recommended by uh, an English teacher uh, who uh, sort of coached me for an oratorical competition. So um, it began with um, Under the Spreading Chestnut Tree, uh, the leafy <laughs> chestnut tree stands. Um, the smith, a mighty man, is he with large and sinewy hands. So we don't even have chestnut trees uh, where I am, but yeah, those are the uh, images that um, that filled our young imaginations uh, as students of English. Um, and later on um, in school, I, I got piqued by um, some of the older uh, English writers like like Chaucer um, and um, uh, even the old old English ones in translation, um, yeah, I, I think that they wrote very um, very riveting uh, stories. Um, some of which had to do with magic, um, and um, there's a sort of magical realism that we um, that we live out um, in the in the third world. So um, I, I can relate with with some of that. Now, tell us about your poetry and how what you are writing now relates to what you learned as a as a boy, how it's developed, and how also it's affected by living in Singapore. Yeah, so um, as I may have mentioned uh, earlier, so I, I write about migrants since that is my um, my experience, and it's the same for um, hundreds of thousands of um, uh, people living here in Singapore. It's um, a global hub uh, with uh, the world's busiest uh, shipping port. Uh, one of the, how's that? Uh, the most popular airports. Um, and um, so we just can't help but um, uh, be open to all of these. Um, and um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, again, you were asking about well, how being in Singapore affects what you write. Yeah. Yes, um, definitely. So as a poet and writer, I'm affected by uh, my lived experience. And that informs my writing to a large extent. Um, 
and uh, my head knowledge of uh, the literary traditions um, helps me uh, put that experience uh, down into paper. Uh, so that would determine uh, like the poetic forms that I use. Right? So it's a mix of um, school knowledge and lived experience, um, the things that I write about. Well, is it time to hear one of your poems to get a flavor of what you write? We'd love that. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, so I'm going to read to you a revised poem. It first came out in a 2011 collection called A World in Transit. Um, but because of the worldwide scourge that we've experienced the past three years, um, I have modified that to reflect the experience of migrant workers here. Uh, they were in the news, uh, in their dormitories. Their lot has improved to some extent, um, but some more can be done um, to um, make them live uh, a little more comfortably uh, like the rest of um, the workers here and in the developed world. This, this is entitled COVID-19, War of the Worlds. Um, the War of the Worlds there is in reference to an art piece in the Singapore Biennale, which is an art exhibit um, that was held um, in the early tweens. So COVID-19, War of the Worlds. Arms akimbo, migrant workers in face masks, impervious to intimidation by the security guard, stake out a few square feet of parquet floor for prayer mats with gray tape one meter apart. The red flame eyes try hard not to show that they've been up all night crying on the edge above a yard of their dorm, guessing who among them will the ambulance take next. Glaring through a shield at an air-conditioned ward, squinting through glasses, I scrutinize their symptoms Save for the color, they have the same furrowed forehead as locals when they are told they're positive. Lungi, toothbrush, paste will be, will be carted away in boxes to Kutek Puat, where they're given soft pillows. Their hearts are not of stone, so they break down. They've never had soft pillows in Cochrane Lodge too. Oh, it's wonderful. Great payoff. I mean, it's clean, it's lean, it's direct. You paint a wonderful picture there. Uh, and it's fascinating to me that you have this, this heritage of the, the rich British and American greats, and yet you're clearly writing very much in your own voice from your own experience. Is, is there much poetry in Singapore? Are you almost unique, or are there lots of other poets writing today in Singapore? Uh, there are plenty of uh, poets here in Singapore um, from everywhere, um, and so it's the uh, the poetry scene is quite lit up. Um, we've got um, plenty of support from the government, and over here, uh, the government plays a very important role in most aspects of life, um, just like in the other tiger economies of Asia. So economically, they started out with the government pumping a lot of money into the industries um, until they were um, world-class and uh, able to stand on their own. So it is with the arts uh, in Singapore. So the National Arts Council has been a 
of uh, big force in um, in uh, the flourishing of, of the scene. So um, a lot of poetry books, in fact, um, get subsidies or grants from the National Arts Council. Um, and it's a strange thing that poetry here seems to be the literary art of choice for most Singaporeans. That's because they're quite busy uh, with schoolwork or office work. Um, it's very hard to find the time to actually write long novels, short stories, but everybody can just open a note app on the phone and write down limericks or some verses. And that's how uh, the scene is fed. And uh, lately, um, the spoken word scene uh, has exploded in a way. So we've got um, probably nightly uh, open nights in bars. And recently, there was a grand championship in which uh, you've got groups of poets, including veteran published poets, competing for prizes. Um, and um, yeah, so the scene is thriving. Thanks a lot to the government, but lately um, common folk have been um, writing verses and uh, that in turn has spawned um, you know, publishing, poetry publishing. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I think we need to go, Dad. And uh... <laughs> we, we definitely want, I want to be part of this, the spoken word scene in Singapore. Can, can you name a couple of, of poets that you reckon that people listening to this as well as wanting to explore your work a couple of other contemporary or even uh past uh singapore poets who'd re you'd recommend people want to explore yeah so you will definitely would want to read the works of edwin thambu um he's like the touchstone against whom uh, all the other singaporean poets um define themselves um instinctively um, and then you have Arthur Yap, who was an early um, stylist. Um, and um, a lot of people look up to him. He was kind of ahead of his time. Um, and he, some of his poems used the local patois of Singlish. Um, now there are more poets writing uh, in that uh, language. Uh, but um, Arthur Yap was doing that in the 1960s and 1970s. And then there are some um, world-renowned figures like Alvin Pang. Uh, he's had this um, these conversations with British poets. Um, and Cyril Wong has been published all over. Um, and he's been uh, much anthologized um, in, in, in in the Western world. And uh, there are many more. Um, you've got people like Aaron Lee, uh, who's a good friend, uh, Gwili Sui, who has been publishing translations of Winnie the Pooh, The Little Prince, into Singlish, uh, believe it or not. Um, and uh, Heng Seok Tian, who's a, an early woman writer. Also, Anne Li Tzu-Peng, uh, she's a contemporary of Edwin Thambu's and um, Arthur Yap's. And then you've got younger stylists like Joshua Ip, who sometimes writes in Singlish, um, and Eng Yishang, who merges um, speculative fiction with, uh, with poetry. And then uh, some post, we have postmodern poets like Yao Kai Chai, who just won the Singapore Literature Prize last year, and a good friend, Desmond Kwon, um, 
uh, who is a very prolific uh, poet, and he um, has experimented in multiple genres as well. So those are the names um, to look out for. It's a galaxy of great names. Just remind me how people like you define postmodern, just so I've got my head around that one as well. Postmodern would be um, uh, a defiance of rules. Uh-huh. So, um, so for them, anything can be poetic. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes um, there seems to be an absence of poetry there, but uh, it, it, it is still uh, poetry. And um, yeah, another uh, local critic, Kotai uh, An, would say that um, postmodern poetry, and that seems to be quite prominent uh, here these days, um, is quite opaque. And uh, that's uh, her complaint about um, some of the the postmodern writers we have here. Well, what I love about the poem you've just read to us is that it is wonderfully accessible. I mean, it, it, it tells a story, it paints that picture. We're directly there. For you, before you read another poem to us, do you have in a phrase what you think poetry does? What does poetry do? What, what can uh, it poetry, achieve? Great, yeah. So poetry um, paints the world for us and sets it to music. Um, and it has a lot of similarities with motion pictures and with symphonies, with all the colors there um, and the drama. Um, and poetry is a way for us to read life and for us to engage with it. I would say. And um, in some of my poetry and in uh, some of the poetry that, that I enjoy reading, uh, there is a, an element of healing involved in which we can write about very difficult topics and experiences. And in that way, we are able to cope with them because we are unable to forget those experiences. What I love about you is you clearly are a poet for our times. You speak the language of our times, the fact of talking about healing, people's preoccupation now with, with balance and good mental health. And also uh, the idea that in this fast-moving world, but which obviously uh, Singapore epitomizes, we haven't, we haven't got time for the epic novel any longer. We've only got time to write. I mean, mostly we can find time to write a haiku, uh, never mind, uh, uh, I mean, a sonnet or a... Uh, so short poems that are short to write and also brief to read and yet pack a punch. So will you paint a, a picture of the world for us now, set it to music with another of your poems? Great. So this one is from um, my second collection, After the Fall, Dirtis Among Ruins. And it tells about uh, the experiences of a British prisoners of war in the notorious Changi prison. Um, and um, one of them um, returned to Changi many years after uh, during the renovation of that prison into a museum. And they discovered some murals um, that were hidden behind coats of paint. Um, they were religious murals um, for the chapel. Um, and so this is his reminiscing about how it was in the dark years of the Japanese occupation here. Um, yeah, so losing Singapore was a big blow to the empire. Uh, it was a cause for nationhood for Australia and New Zealand. And um, it was also um, 
it stopped incipient nationalism um, among the Malays um, and the, the Chinese Singaporeans then. So this is entitled Restoring a Mural in Changi Prison. It starts off with an um, uh, epigraph from the Gospel of Luke. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Under layers of paint, like tar pits of memory, the wearied arms and legs of five half-naked POWs crouching in outline, they are the dead we mourn, who are, who are raising Christ alive and golden on the cross in the mid-afternoon sun, as if mercy sprouts a leaf breaking out of an ice flow, as if hope could summon sculpted captives from deep marble slumber out of a plastered tomb wall. As a British bombardier fights smooth-tongued death, wartime nightmares of raising blistered hands, bony after three years of want, of making brush bristles from hair, and mixing paint with crushed chalk, the prisoner mixes linseed oil with salty sweat for body and gloss. His figure's eyes closed to defeat, their spirit breaking at last the bonds of war. Well, you certainly paint a picture for us there, and the music you set it to is a bit somber. The Christian element in that poem um, reminds me to ask you, is, is it a multi-faith community in Singapore? What is the What are the religions that people have? Yes, it is. Um, we've got all the religions, uh, but there are, um, the biggest ones would be, um, Buddhism, Taoism, that uh, accounts for about 60% of the population, um, some of whom are nominally that, uh, but they don't really practice. Um, and then we've got um, Muslims. Um, they make up about 17% of the population. Uh, the Malays would, uh, would be Muslim. And then we've got Hindus, uh, which, who make up about 9%. And then um, Christians, both Protestant and Catholic, that would uh, we would make up another ten percent. And small, uh, smaller pockets of um, faith communities. You've got Jains, Sikhs, um, Jews as well, uh, and you see them walking on the streets on Saturdays um, in the in the civic district. Um, yeah, we've got all sorts of uh, faith communities. Does the Commonwealth mean much to people in Singapore? Obviously, it does to you. But does it do, does it have an impact on people living in Singapore? Do you think being part of the Commonwealth? Yes, it does, uh, because all of us are connected um, to other Commonwealth countries in a big way. Um, so there are big um, Australian and New Zealand as New Zealand um, communities here, um, and I actually go to Australia every year uh, in November, December, to attend a, a Catholic group meeting. Um, and so I'm, you know, we, we uh, engage with them all the time. So they are, um, they are friends. So the Commonwealth um, is a community of friendship uh, for many Singaporeans and Malaysians uh, who just live next door. So, and um, yeah, so we all we obviously have very close ties with Malaysia. Um, so I, I go there for uh, an annual retreat, and some Singaporeans go there every weekend. Um, I see food. 
We feel lucky to have been part of your community of friendship. Uh, I'm speaking to you from Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, Afro today is in Kent in England. Uh, and it's lovely talking to you in Singapore. Bef before we leave you, what is your hope that poetry, what, what do you want poetry to achieve in the 21st century? Because you clearly have seen it's been working for you for hundreds of years. Your reference to Chaucer and Shakespeare suggests that. But what is it doing for the world in the 21st century? Why is poetry important now? Yes. Um, so poetry, I hope poetry could do for the world what it's doing for Singapore. Um, because we are made up of different linguistic and cultural traditions, and yet we come together. So I'm part of this outfit, which um, Professor Edwin Thumbu put together um, called Poetry Festival Singapore. And at the end of July, we come together and we uh, listen to each other's poetry in the native, uh, in, in our native tongues, um, sometimes with English translation. So that's a way for people to get together despite our differences. And it has worked very well for Singapore. And um, I hope there could be more initiatives in this area worldwide. And you're certainly contributing to that. Um, thank you very much for that. You talked um, a few times about Edwin Thumbu. Can you leave us perhaps with a poem by him? Yes. Um, I could read what I think is uh, one of his best poems. Um, it's about his, uh, his dead uncle, uh, who was in exile um, from China. And he didn't quite fit in uh, the nascent uh, nation that was Singapore uh, because of his ideological beliefs. Um, and uh, yet, um, so that uncle has inspired uh, Prof. Thambu uh, to write and to write one of his uh, most luminous works. Uh, this is entitled Uncle Never Knew. He lived, if you could call it that, two streets off Boat Key North, tranquil as leaves left in a teacup. Always alone, but never lonely. The daily bustle of barge and coolie ferrying rubber, rice, and spice. All energy and profit for Taukes and Guthries slipped past without ripple, sound, or promise. No enterprising cleverness to make his brothers happy as nothing drew him to our hot meridian. Often after rain, he would watch the day dry out, but if a few fine drops caught the sun and glittered against that thinning blue strip of northern sky, he was back in Swato at his stable, preparing ink and brush, fingering his father's piece of jade, intoning lipo, tufu, and reading mao, sip tea, fed his carps while waiting for his drinking friend. Great houses are history, clan, essential unity, belief, a way of life which brooks no breaking of fidelity. Rooted comforts reaffirm, nothing is extinguished. Memory is full and whole. He was ensconced, secure. For a few, it's the only pulse. Many need his bedrock. This island, so little that Chung Ho barely noticed. Post astral, uncle stroked his undernourished beard, spoke to clouds, not people. 
The moon climbed roofs as he waited for glowworms to signify the darkening bamboos. Communing with self, he was his favorite neighbor. He could not hear migrant hearts change rivers from big to small and smelly, or feel dreams gather along Carpenter Street, then roll down Telok Ayer up Ansiang Hill to answering temple bells. The world was hard language, felt daily as heart and will, dropped into soft, releasing opium, working up hungry lungs as shadows flickered on the wall. He never knew our age in full, had, to trans had no transplanted way to name its joys, its follies. True exile, he denied our home to life do us part in 51, leaving companions Marx, Engels, and Mao, Lu Xun, the Li Sao, Dao Qing. When I am by you, river, I feel uncle watching me. I hear much from inside his spirit, his affirmations, Old country stories resurface, tell their tale. That house I've never seen tries to sketch itself. Wonderful payoff again. Well, we've got to unpick that. And I think to do so, I must read it again. We will give details of both your poems, your anthologies, and uh, the great man's work on uh, our website. But Eric, how wonderful for us to visit what clearly is a, a Commonwealth capital of poetry in Singapore. Fantastic. It's a great honor for you to have me. Thank you very much, too. Thank you. Well, that's it for this podcast. Our thanks to Eric Tinsay Valles, who chose to read COVID-19, War of the Worlds, and Restoring a Mural in Changi Chapel, both by Eric Tinsay Valles and Uncle Never Knew by Edwin Thumbu. Join us next time when we'll be in a different Commonwealth country with more poetry from the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth Poetry Podcast is presented by Giles Brandreth and Afra Brandreth and produced by the University of Chester. Our special thanks to them and to the Royal Commonwealth Society. And to you, wherever you happen to be in the world for listening. <laughs>